It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I tell you what, you know, when I was a younger person, the only thing I really thought of in that change was the immortality part of it. And little by little, as I'm getting older and older, I realize I want to change in this physical body, but I also want to change here, and I want to change in my heart as well. As you get a little older, you start realizing just really your thought life really isn't all it should be. Your, you know, your value system, even though you do try to live for the Lord and stuff like that, there's always so much room for improvement uh, that I'm, I'm ready for a change. And it sits there and he says, In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be changed, and we're going to be changed because we, we need to be sure that we continuously remember to give thanks to God for his willingness to send his son Jesus and make it possible for us. Go with me, if you also, on the same theme into 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you've been to very many funerals. You've heard uh, these passages many a time, but... In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, Paul writing again to this church at Thessalonica who had heard some lies and kind of got to believe in the rapture had already happened or they'd moved into the tribulation period and uh, they were concerned about their lost loved ones, or not lost loved ones, but loved ones who had died in Christ. And Paul was setting some things straight with them and he said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus shall God bring with him. You know, people wonder when the scriptures tell us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, here's another verification of it, because when they get resurrected, he's got to bring them back down to be reunited with their glorified body. It says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, And so shall we ever be with the Lord, never to be separated from him again. And, you know, as we look at this, the rapture, as we call it, there's no scriptural name for the rapture, but it's the the title that is given to it. But, you know, the Lord is going to, right before the tribulation period starts, he's going to pull out all of the saved, all those that have trusted Jesus up to the point um, 
of this point, but have died, and then all those that are still alive are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and we're all heading up to glory before the tribulation period starts. But then during the tribulation, the seven years where the Antichrist is on the scene, and there's lots of different prophecies that had to deal with that, but what I want to concentrate on is, first of all, the realization that we're going to be changed, we're either going to be resurrected or we're going to be changed, and it's all because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We have the victory in Christ. We look unto Jesus now for the grace, for the encouragement, for the power to live this life that we've got to live and to keep our eyes concentrated on him. But the realization, what we really need to focus on, will give you the final jolt of energy that we need to do this life, is remember, we've got the final victory. And it isn't just limited to this lifetime, but it's a glorious victory in heaven. But the rapture happens. But one of the other things that is really something today I'm looking for, also go with me to Revelation chapter 20. And in Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it said, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more Till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Can you imagine what what is going to be like as since we've already been raptured out and we're with the Lord, or we've been resurrected and we're there, and we get to finally see this guy bound into a, in a chain and locked up for a thousand years? You know, the only thing I really hope is that the Lord doesn't hurry the process, but bind him up some. But then give us a sharp stick, you know, or a bat. You know, it'd just be nice to get a little even uh, for all the messing that he's done with either me as an individual or with family members, loved ones, the, the pain that he has caused. It would be nice to have a little private time with him. I want him bound up, though. <laughs> I do want him bound up when that, when that time comes. But... But, you know, the thing is that scriptures tell us after the thousand-year millennial reign, he has to be loose for a little time. Picture this with me. You know, people that try to talk to us about the human race is just going to move toward utopia. We're going to learn how to live with one another. We're going to learn how to coexist. The world's just going to become such a warm, fuzzy thing. Here's a, a people who lived through the tribulation who were still in the flesh, who have entered into the millennial reign with Christ. We've been down here... There's no more curse. The Bible talks about that if you die at 100 years old as if you died as a baby or a teenager. In other words, longevity of life comes again. It talks about the lamb and the lion laying down beside each other, a child playing by a snake pit. And so the curse is removed. Jesus Christ does, he rules with an iron rod. And so there is no more corruption. Nobody mistreats anybody. It's not tolerated. But you live in a perfect environment other than the fact you can't misbehave if you're still in the flesh. And yet, a thousand years of this, 
And yet when Satan is loose, there's going to be so many lost people that still did not put their trust in Jesus, even though in that perfect environment, even with Satan bound, and yet they still did not put their confidence in the Lord Jesus, and he's going to rally an army for one last big battle. Can you imagine? I mean, that's the human race. That's us. You know, that's us. And if we sit there and try to put a smiley face on it, we're just, we're just lying to ourselves. That's the reason we need a change. And uh, so, but, but the thing is, after that final battle, then we move to, in the same chapter, in verse 10. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And this is Satan's final doom. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. Now, there's something here for all of us to think about as well. Not only is the glorious day that he's finally put away, but think about it with me just a second. When it talks about a lake of fire and brimstone that... uh, and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. And the realization, that's what we've been saved from. When we get to mully grubs and we get to thinking that it's oh me and the world's picking on me and this and that and I'm just, oh, it's just not nice. Just get a little bit of a glimpse of what we really deserve because of our sinful nature and yet we've been saved from that. Jesus Christ loved us so much that you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then use it also to motivate us to have some pity in our heart for the lost and dying world that we live in. We need to be more motivated to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people because they're headed toward a devil's hell. And the thing is, so we need to be motivated as we look at what we've been saved from and the joy that that should bring to our heart. It should also bring out in us pity and mercy and a willingness to sacrifice if that's what it takes on our part to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. But we see in, um, go with me if you would to Revelation chapter 21. And uh, we see a description here of heaven. And the thing is, this is after the thousand years of reigning on the earth with Christ. This is after a thousand years of John tuning people up. Yeah, (laughs) you know, just think about what it's going to have been like to gloriously rule and reign for a thousand years. And then after that, here comes on the picture the new heaven and the new earth that God has created for us. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I mean, just think of that. I mean, we're going to get to walk in the presence of God Almighty. He wants to dwell with us. He wants us to be his people, his children, and he wants to be our God. But look with me in verse 4. It says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. 
Who's going to do the wiping? God's going to do the wiping. You know, when I read that verse, it, it strikes me as like a father picking up a little two-year-old that's got an owie, and they're crying and coddling and comforting. I mean, that's the love our God has for us. That's the compassion that he has for us. We do not need to fear coming into the presence of our Heavenly Father. Now, if we don't accept him as Savior, we need to be worried because we're painting him into a corner where he's required then to be our judge. But he doesn't want to be our judge. He wants to be our Father. And And as I look at this and I see the tenderness of God, that it says here that, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. What a tender invitation has been extended to us to just accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And then once we've accepted him as Savior, build our relationship with him as far as you know, getting into his word, praying, be around God's people, be in his church, be involved. And build that closeness that God wants to have with us. We see also um, in verses 11 through 20 that he goes on to describe the beauty of the city. But I want to uh, pick up with you, if you would, in verse 21, where he describes its glory and our security. In verse 21 he says, and the 12 gates, talking about the, the city that came down, that it was basically 1,500 miles square cube. And he goes on talks about all the different foundations of stones and stuff. But picking up in verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Can you imagine that? And it says, and every several gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, and it was like transparent glass. You know, I've often joked with my business partner. Him and I have been friends since we've been 10 years old. I'm very fortunate to have my best friend as a business partner. But I've often told him, I've got a feeling the Lord's going to have to keep hunting us up because we'll be trying to pry up the, the pavement. You know, that old selfish nature, you know. Uh, it's gold, yeah, but it's, a, it's the streets up there. I've often tried to picture in my mind what the architecture is going to be like in glory if the streets are made out of gold. You know, just try to picture in your mind what God has been preparing for us. Jesus himself has been preparing for us for 2,000 years. Um, Verse 22, it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. And there shall be no night there. 
and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and there shall be in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Not only, as I read those verses, but especially the last verse, the beauty of the city, but that last verse of security. I mean, just think about how much stress would drop off in your life if financial security was just guaranteed, if your health was guaranteed, if your home and your property and your loved ones were secure and guaranteed to you in such a way that you knew it was a fact. Just think how much stress would drop away from you. And God promises us that the city, nothing that can enter into it that will defile it, nothing that's a lie, no abomination. The gates don't have to be shut at night because there is no night. And who could be a better watchman than God Almighty who's going to be in the city with us, with our Savior? Um, I look at the picture of heaven and the, the love it's described to there. I mean, think of it with me. If, if God just gave us a true glimpse in our heart of what hell is really like, how much whining and crying do you think we'd do in this life? You know, if we really get, and then, it, but that isn't just all He promises. He promises glory. You know, I don't think we have any real idea what has been endowed to us when he calls us the sons and daughters of God, when the Holy Spirit come to live in our heart. You know, there's never any scripture reference that the Holy Spirit will ever leave us. God, the Holy Spirit's never, there's nothing in here that says he'll ever leave us once we get saved. I think God has invested or divested to us something that we don't understand. How is it that we can't lose our salvation, but the angels can fall? There's something God has passed on to us. I don't think we even have a beginning of what it means to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You know, the things that God imparted to us at salvation, the gift that we received when our Lord Jesus Christ died on a cross for us and we put our confidence in that. I don't think we can even begin to believe or understand what he invested in us, what he transferred to us as our ownership. And the thing is, we God looks at us and honestly looks at us as because if any sin was left, I couldn't get into heaven since nothing, no abomination, no lie. I can't ever say I never lied. And yet Rick gets to go to heaven. How is that? Because he looks at me through the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. There's been something transferred onto my account that that's never going to be took away from me. Like I said, if one-third of the angels fell once before, there's nothing that says in the Scriptures the others, if they got a case of the dumbs, couldn't fall away. Hopefully they saw what happened to the one-third and they won't do it, but Satan and one-third did. And there's nothing that says the others can't lose their standing, but we can't. We're children. And so there's been just something tremendous transferred to our ownership and it's all because of what Jesus did for us. And our home in heaven is the final crowning achievement of what God's invested in us through salvation. And because of that, I want you, if you would, to go back to where we first started, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15.
and after we read the verses earlier up through verse 57, talking about the rapture, and then in verse 58 of chapter 15, it says, therefore, in other words, because of this promise of the rapture, this promise of glory, the promise of uh, your home in heaven, it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. As you can picture in your mind more and more about what your final destination is going to be, the glory that's already been transferred into your name because of what Jesus has done for you, it makes the realization that working for the Lord truly can't be in vain. He promises here not that it's not in vain, that we need to be busy. And he says whenever you get to feeling like you've been mistreated, whenever you get to feeling like it ain't worth it or it ain't working out, he's just telling us remember what's been given to you, what's been promised to you. And then we go back over, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 4, where we were just a few minutes ago. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, again, we, were, we originally read down through uh, verse 17, and we'll pick up uh, verse 18 there and read into chapter 5. Again, because of all these promises that have been made for us, the Lord says, Wherefore, or like therefore, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in the darkness, that that day shall overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day, and we are not uh, of the night or nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet to hope of salvation. For, and this is a key verse. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of this great salvation, he goes on to share with us again some behaviors that should sprout out of us as we dwell on the glory that's waiting for us, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. For we beseech you, brethren, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and to admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. It tells us here in the Scripture, as we get to thinking about our preacher and stuff, that we need to hold him in high esteem. Because he's sitting there trying to guide and direct us, encourage us, correct us as we need it in the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to do that. But also the evangelistic side of trying to see others come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And we need to esteem them for that. goes on to tell us, and then that key verse here says, And be at peace among yourselves. Give one another a break. 
you know, how many times, you know, have you maybe just got a bad phone call right before you walked in or you're not feeling well? And it's, you know, and then if somebody got offended because you weren't warm and bubbly and friendly, you'd sit there and say, hey, you know, if you just knew. Well, the trouble is we need to just assume that that's the case with each one of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If they aren't warm and fuzzy and, you know, giving us a real good warm handshake and giving us a lot of attention, we don't know what's going on in their life. We need to live peaceably uh, with one another. And it sits there and says, um, And now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, that's me, um, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil, unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. That's something we can all, no matter... You know, a lot of times you might want to say that to a younger group of people, but that's good advice for all of us. Just stay away from the very appearance of evil. And and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll end with this verse here. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. We have a glorious future. It's been paid for by Lord Jesus Christ. The title to it has been transferred to us. It's unrevocable. You're guaranteed your, your heavenly home. And God tells us then, with that in mind, get busy about my work and do it in a way that would be pleasing and beneficial to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Every time the world starts beating you down, we need to look unto Jesus And when we look unto Jesus, how can we not look unto him and realize it's because of him I'm saved. It's because of him I've got a glorious home waiting on me. I have the victory. And God promises in verse 24, Faithful is he that calleth you who also also will do it. I want to thank you all for your attention tonight. And we'll close in a word of prayer. Get out of here just a few minutes early. Brother Brock, how about closing us in a word of prayer?